Welcome to the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and we're still on quarantine with COVID-19, but things are slowly but surely starting to open up, with the restrictions being slowly but surely eased. We want to continue to give our well wishes to everybody in the United States and worldwide to continue to stay safe amongst this pandemic that we have out here. We want everyone to remain safe. And we'll see you out there on the other side of this pandemic and we'll continue to get through it. But just continue listening to us here at The Vault. We'll continue to give you good content for you to listen to while you're sitting at home and staying safe. As always, we like to take you back in time on The Vault Classic Music Reviews. Our saying here is hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics or NBTC. And today we have yet another classic that we are going to review going back 20 years ago. And of course, we're talking about the third studio album by Eminem, the Marshall Mathers LP, released on May 23rd, 2000 on Aftermath Entertainment and Interscope Records. His third album after the previous year's 1999's The Slim Shady LP. He also previously to that in 1998 released his Slim Shady EP and his debut studio album, which was independent, was Infinite, released in 1996. And this was Eminem's third album, his second on Aftermath Entertainment and Interscope Records. Eminem was discovered by Dr. Dre after competing in the Rap Olympics in 1997. That's what got him on the industry's radar. And as he got his attention, Dr. Dre signed him to Aftermath. And really, Eminem was the catalyst, along with Dr. Dre's 2001, to catapult Aftermath from a record label that had struggled for its first couple of years off the ground to a record label that would come to dominate much of the next decade heading into the 2000s. So looking back at the Marshall Mathers LP, May 23rd, 2000, recorded between 1999 and 2000 in various studios, has a runtime of 72 minutes and four seconds. Executive producer, Dr. Dre, all other producers on the album as well, Eminem, also the Bass Brothers, FBT, Melman, and Mark James, the 45 King who, of course, we talked about last year, did production on Queen Latifah's All Hail the Queen and a veteran hip-hop producer who worked on this production for the Marshall Mathers LP. This is an album that (laughs) I can't believe it's been 20 years that has passed since this album has come out. And this was an album that when it came out, I remember it. This was going into my ending of my senior year in high school. Eminem at this point had started to become known as a rap star because of the Slim Shady LP, and he started to make his name known in the industry, and he started to become a star. However, when he came out with his first single on this album, The Real Slim Shady, everyone remembered that the song because of its content, but then also the video that came out and the subsequent performances that happened at award shows afterwards where Eminem came out with white guys that looked just like him. He had the blue jeans with the white t-shirt with the bleach blonde hair. 
<laughs> and it was, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? And really this album, that single then leading into this album and the singles that came out afterwards, in my opinion, is what took him from a star into a superstar. You also saw his development from the recording of the Slim Shady LP to what happened here in the Marshall Mathers LP. You saw the growth that happened in regards to his skill. Like he advanced. And also, you're also getting to see another part of Eminem as well. You got to see Slim Shady to Marshall Mathers, the person. There's Eminem, that's the rap star. Everybody knows, you know, Eminem. There's Slim Shady, who's the alter ego of Eminem, the rap star, who's out of control, (laughs) who says and does outlandish things. And then there's Marshall Mathers. And this is the other side of the coin if you look at those two albums, Slim Shady LP and Marshall Mathers LP being two sides, a coin. These are the two sides of the coin. What you got in the Slim Shady LP was, of course, Slim Shady. What you got in this album, unmistakably, is Marshall Mathers. And I think this is where this album stands out because of the content of this album. You're truly and really getting Marshall. And what this album gives you is a look into his life, his psyche, and then also... What he truly is beyond just the rap moniker, you really start to get into and dig into his life and see the way that he feels about a lot of things. And also, after the varnish of fame was cast onto his life, it gave him perspective to be able to look at things once he became a very big rap star. And that led to a lot of notoriety, that led to a lot of criticism, that led to a lot of attention that he attracted. Beyond the fact that he was white. (laughs) beyond the fact that he was white and he had skills, which nobody could deny whatsoever that he was white and he had skills. And he was one of the top rappers in the game after a very short period of time. But through the things that he said, through his content, through his lyrics and backed up by a great soundtrack by producers like Dr. Dre really became a uh, lightning rod for not just criticism, but also for controversy. So, Just to give you a little bit of background as far as with the Marshall Mathers LP, how it happened, we gave you the particulars. This was the fastest selling rap album of all time, meaning that in its first week, it did something like 1.8 million records. To this date, it has sold 25 million copies worldwide. It's not just one of the best selling hip hop albums of all time. It's one of the best selling albums of all time with certified diamond by RIAA has also was nominated for Album of the Year, won Best Rap Album at the 2001 Grammy Awards. And this became an album that sold a lot. Now, you think about back then in 2000. Now we're in digital ages. You can stream. You can buy things. Things were accessible. But to sell that many records is really, I mean, it's unbelievable. We talk about some of the best albums that aren't double albums that sold a lot of records. You, There's only a few of them out there that go diamond as far as hip hop records or rap records are concerned, you had please hammer. Don't hurt him. You also have in that group, uh, country grammar, which we'll talk about later this year and review later this year that came out 20 years ago as well. And then you have this album. There's not many other albums that aren't double albums that have gone diamond, but this just went to show you as far as how popular an artist he was and also how much of a lightning rod he was throughout the industry as well. To talk about the themes here as well, we, We say that this is an album that highlighted Marshall, not Eminem, not Slim Shady, but mostly Marshall. You get a window into Marshall's view. 
So you see themes on here, things when it talks to about, of course, his battle and his problems with addiction and drugs and alcohol, you know, that's been well documented throughout Eminem's career. He had albums named Relapse and then also Recovery. He's now supposedly clean and has not done drugs or alcohol in quite some time, which is something that eventually he had to get help for. You see things about here. He's very controversial on the topics. He talks about things about what he says about people in the LGBT community uh, about homosexuals. He talks about some uh, folks like, you know, makes fun of like some disabled actors like Christopher Reeves talks about a lot of different other music artists here too: Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears and sync. He mentions them like five or six times during this, the Backstreet Boys, Ricky Martin. I mean, you name it. There's a lot of things in here that are controversial and it's amazing that back then the backlash that he got then was bad and how bad it was this bad. The second lady of the United States, who was Lynn Cheney, who was the wife of former Vice President Dick Cheney, who was vice president to George W. Bush, actually at a United States Senate hearing said that Eminem and his sponsor at that time, which was Seagram, Seagram, which was the beverage maker and also the liquor maker, said that he was promoting violence of the most degrading kind against women, labeling him as someone who advocates murder and rape. And then she actually cited lyrics from a song on this album called Kill You, when he talks about murdering and raping his mother. Mentions stuff like O.J. Simpson. He makes, I mean, everyone knows, you know how Eminem is. But considering how big the backlash was back then, I could only imagine if an album like this came out now. Like, I don't even think an album like this that came out now would even make it onto the airwaves. Forget even the airwaves of radio player or music videos. I'm talking about this, prob- this album probably wouldn't even see the light of day. Because now the things he talked about then were a problem then. It's 1,000 times more a problem now in the society that we live in now. Again, we talked a lot about this during Ice Cube's America's Most Wanted. If you look at it just on the surface for the controversy, you miss a lot of the other messaging and things that happen in the album other outside of the controversy. There's a lot of creative things that happen here. Noticed more so when you said that you saw the growth of Eminem you saw him not just the growth as an MC, as an lyricist, but also as a composer, as a producer in the terms of being able to organize, arrange a song in the direction of a song, but in also producing as well at the boards and making beats. And this is the album really where he got into starting his production chops and he carried this on throughout the next at least decade where he became a very prominent beat maker for not just himself, but also the artists who were signed to his records, Shady Records, such as D12, such as 50 Cent, such as G-Unit, and all the other folks in the G-Unit imprint. He grew during this album. And if you look, of course, and see some of the things that happen here with some of these themes you talk about it, just beyond the surface, you see a lot of growth. Originally, he was going to call it Amsterdam, named after the Dutch city, which is uh, in the Netherlands. And the reason why he did is because he went there with a group of his friends. They engaged in a lot of drug use. And because of this, it influenced his desire to openly describe his drug use and his music and inspired a lot of the content on the album. Now, getting into the background of this, Marshall Mathers LP now was recorded, at least in a two-month what they call creative binge, where Dr. Dre and Eminem sat in the studio and did what they call 20-hour-long studio sessions. And what they wanted to do was to help keep the publicity down, and they took time to map out the directions of each one of the songs. And according to Dr. Dre, it wasn't just something where they would just get up in the studio and go say, all right, let's let's go work and do this. 
they get to the studio and it was almost like, hey, let's just start working on something and see what happens. So because they spent these long, long days in the studio, things started happening. They had ideas. And of course, it wasn't just Dr. Dre. There were other producers who worked on this album as well. Mel Mann, Mark James, the 45 King, the Bass Brothers, FBT. They worked on this and they started pretty much conceptualizing a record in the studio and making things come together. Songs like Kill You came from Eminem hearing a track playing in the background while Dr. Dre was on the phone. He developed an interest in being able to use it for a song. That song Kill You actually was a sample. That actually was a sample of a track, which is by Jacques Lozaire, who was a French jazz artist made in 1979. Another track on Marshall Mathers that sort of became as spontaneously was also uh, the Marshall Mathers track where Jeff Bass was strumming a guitar and also Criminal was based off a piano riff that Eminem overheard Bass playing in the studio next door. Now, surprisingly with this, a lot of the tracks on here are not really hardcore samples. If you think about sample hip hops, it was a lot of live instrumentation and a lot of original music that was being put on here. And there was some sampling done, but nothing to what you expected to hear from maybe a Dr. Dre produced album, considering the fact of the mood that he would sample a lot in his records. But they did this work and they put in a lot of work in helping to record this album and they put in long days. And as a result of that, with all these different producers that were there, they were able to come up and come up with this album. They recorded this track. There's 18 tracks on this album after they were all done they put it together and they brought the track or they brought it actually to uh, the folks at Interscope and heard it. In particular, when Paul Rosenberg heard the track Stan, which was produced by the 45 King and sampled English, the English singer Dido's Thank You. He said that it was an incredible song and they knew that they had something in the direction of the song, considering the perspective he wrote it from just helped even push it along even further. And now that song has grown a mythology in itself because of the sample, but then also because of the direction that it took. And then everyone remembers the actual video that he shot for that one as well. So a lot of great work here done by Eminem and Dr. Dre and the producers here on the Marshall Mathers LP. What they did was construct an album that was really free of censorship and free of the label intervening to have Eminem tone down any of his rhetoric. Now that's Something to say about that, considering the things that he talked about in this album. But I think the folks at Aftermath and also at Interscope with Jimmy Iovine, they kind of knew and trusted Dr. Dre and trusted Eminem and knew that this is what made Eminem Eminem. Stuff that's raw. It's just raw, like really edgy, edge of the world, edge of the map type things that this is really what gets people in the appeal for Eminem as a rapper in the first place, especially even early in his career. Now, Eminem talked about early on, he talked with MTV News in regards to what he thought this album was trying to accomplish, as opposed to what Slim Shady LP was. He really wanted to give people a window into his world, but then also to let them know exactly the kind of guy that he was. And in this interview, this is pretty much what he had to say. The Marshall Mathers LP is just to show people that I'm just like them. Like, you know what I'm saying? I never knew that I was going to get this big. I never knew... Um, I never knew any of this was going to happen to me. You know what I'm saying? When, when my name is, the video came out, I never realized that it was going to be that big. I never realized that it was going to launch me into stardom or whatever. And, and, and at first, when that first happened, I didn't know what to do. You know what I'm saying? Because I went from literally being nobody 
to being somebody and like just did a whole 360 and it like turned my life upside down. So basically what I'm trying to get across with this album is that I'm, at the end of the day, I'm a regular person. I'm Marshall Mathers, you know what I'm saying? When, when, when I go off stage and when I go home, my entertainment, that little flashing sign above my head that says Eminem turns off and I'm Marshall Mathers. So when people see me in the streets, you know what I'm saying? You can shake my hand. And there you go. And it's interesting to sort of hear that interview from him because it's almost the opposite of what he was sort of saying in the song, That's the Way That I Am, especially, well, more so harassment. So I think he wanted people to come up and sort of be like, hey, what's up, man? You know, want him to be approachable, but he didn't want people harassing him. <laughs> and that was one of the big themes. And that's the way that I am that track on this album. But we're going to get now into some of the highlights and lowlights here on the Marshall Mathers LP, 18 tracks, get into some of my favorites here. Off the break, you listening to hear this, this album is funny as hell. A lot of the things on here, the skits on here are funny as hell, except for track 12, which is Ken Kniff. <laughs> if you've heard the album, you know exactly what track I'm talking about and what skit I'm talking about. We're not going to get into it, I could have done without another Ken Kniff skit. I really could have, especially this one, because I was just like, this is disgusting. Like, I want to throw up in my mouth. Like, right now, this is terrible. But it's Eminem, so what are you going to do? But just getting into some of my favorites here on the album, Kill You, was really, it's a really simplistic beat, but the stuff that he talks about on here, he really rides his beat really, really well. And that was produced by Dr. Dre and Melman. Stan, of course, is a favorite of mine's because that's a crazy, that crazy sample that the 45 King used with Dido from Thank You and the perspective is just the creativity where you talk about you get the best out of Eminem, where Stan is from this perspective of a fan that has written Eminem a few different times that he's obsessed with Eminem. And after he doesn't receive any letters back, he decides to pretty much go off the deep end and mimic what Eminem did in the Slim Shady LP and put his his daughter's mother in the trunk and drive off a bridge and she was pregnant. So, and then at the end of the song, what you get is Eminem saying that he finally wrote him back. He was talking about, hey man, what the hell is all this shit saying that you want to be just like me? Like, nope, you don't, you don't need to be like me. Maybe you need to spend more time with your, your girl's mother and your baby. And at the end of it, he ended it out like, hey, this dude drove himself off a bridge with a wife, with his girlfriend, and she was pregnant with his kid. As a matter of fact, it was you. And then the song just ends just like that. Six minutes, almost a seven minute long track, but it's really interesting to listen to. And the first time I listened to it, I was almost in silence. Another great track here that I love, of course, the way that I am. Um, I love that beat. That was actually a beat that Eminem produced, and that's probably one of the best beats that he's produced to me on his albums is the way that I am. And then the, the cadence in that, you'll never forget that cadence. And then we talked about the subject matter, what he talks about. Okay. He can't be anybody else. He is just the way that he is. And nothing's going to change about that. The real slim shady, of course, that's the single there. That was the first one that came out on the album. That was really the follow up to the, my name is, and he really outdid himself on this one. And this was a massive radio hit. Like when I was in high school, I remember when this track first came out, it was probably number one on my local radio station for probably about three or four weeks. And then I also remember the video when it came out and how outrageous that was. But it also went along with the content of the songs. I love the beat for Remember Me, which was done by Dr. Dre and Melman. 
Now, the guest spots on here, of course, I love hearing Sticky Fingers. Sticky Fingers is one of my favorite rappers, and Onyx are one of my favorite groups in the 90s. I never really was a big fan of RBX, though. Like, <laughs> I know some people out there love RBX, but I could have done away with his verse. I would have liked to maybe have heard another rapper on here other than RBX, but I thought Sticky and Eminem had great verses on here. That beat with Dr. Dre and Melman, oh, man, it's ridiculous. The song Marshall Mathers just might be my second favorite track on here. One, because the subject matter he talks about, I think, hits harder in the fact of some of the things he's talking about in regards to him talking about the music scene and how the music scene has changed. And it's a little explicit out there, but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, he talks about his enemies in there and the people that he really doesn't like. But, you know, again, another thing about it is that he also talks about, you know, who he is. He's he's just Marshall. Just a regular guy. He really doesn't see personally what the big fuss about everything is. And, you know, but now he says that people used to doubt him. And now all the thing people want to do is criticize him and run their mouths off about him. But I love that beat as well. That was another beat that Eminem did with the Bass Brothers that were FBT. Moving forward, Amityville was another one of my favorites, too. That was featuring Bizarre of D12. Amityville, I like that beat. That was another beat that Eminem did with the Bass Brothers. Bitch, Please is probably my favorite track on here because that was a Dr. Dre beat. And when you hear it, you know it's a Dr. Dre beat. <laughs> I mean, before anybody else even said anything on the track, right? Like, it, take away the voices, take away anything else that happens on the song. When you listen to this, it's like, oh, yeah. You're like, this is a Dre track, right? So, you know, some producers have their signature sound. This is a signature Dr. Dre track it has all of the hallmarks of a dr dre track and a dre track that you know is going to ride in your whip or blast when you turn the volume up great features on this one as well dr dre with a good verse snoop dogg of course reunited with dr dre exhibit who at that time was definitely in a wheelhouse he had released 40 days and 40 nights within a few years then also released restless which came along a few years later. And he was really in the middle of that time where he was starting his resurgence and he was starting to emerge as an artist just outside of who West Coast rap fans recognize, but the industry was starting to recognize. And he had a great verse on here too. And of course, any classic Dr. Dre song with a track like this would only, only, only be blessed with the hook from none other than the hook king himself, the late great, Nate Dog, and Nate Dog does it again on the hook here, man. And oh yeah, M kills the track as well. The next track and another one of my favorites, which is really not only interesting but disturbing, is Kim. <laughs> and this was actually the first track that was recorded for the Marshall Mathers LP, Kim. Now Kim <laughs> was a track that Eminem actually wrote. He wrote about his daughter Haley's mother Kim Scott who they were together and then they broke up and then eventually in 1999 Eminem married Kim and they were married for a while for about I think maybe about a year and a half or two years and then they split up and divorced again now to say that Eminem and Kim have a love-hate relationship is the understatement of the decade <laughs> Eminem has made a big portion of his early career in those first three albums Slim Shady LP, Marshall Mathers LP, and Eminem show talking cold cash shit about Kim. I mean, I think the only person he talks more shit about than Kim 
It's probably his mother. And in this track, this is pretty much what you would describe as being the prequel to 97 Body and Clyde, which showed up on the Slim Shady LP. And Eminem described this as he wrote this track during a time when him and Kim had broken up. And by the time this track was recorded and then was ready to go onto the album, he and Kim had reconciled. It was already going to be on the album. It was already considered to be one of the better and more creative songs on the album. And then what happened is that (laughs) the story is that Eminem wrote this track right after he had watched a romantic movie alone in the theater. I'm not making this shit up. I swear. So he was originally going to write a love song for her while he was on ecstasy, but instead he didn't want to be too sentimental. So what he did, he began writing a song of hate. He created basically a short horror story in a film in the form of a song. And what this track was basically was leading up to the events of the Bonnie and Clyde song on the Slim Shady LP, what happened before he ended up driving with his daughter in the car to dump his wife, her body is it led everything up to him pretty much killing her boyfriend or her husband and then getting her into the trunk of the, getting her into the car and then killing her and then leaving her body. That's pretty much exactly what happened. And it was explicit and you could tell he was screaming and shouting and it was emotional. And you hear this female voice in the background. that's supposed to be Kim. I'm, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> and when you hear it, you're either look, you, like I think the first time that I heard it, I think I was, that was one of the two songs on here that I was speechless on was Stan and then Kim. And then he says that once they reconciled and he, he had the song ready, he asked her to tell him what she thought of it. And then he said, I remember my dumb ass saying, I know this is a fucked up song, but this shows how much I care about you to even think about you this much, to even put you in a song like this. Oh man, M was on some crazy, crazy ass drugs, man. To think that this would be okay to have a song like this to his child's mother and eventually his wife, now his ex-wife. But that's actually one of my favorites too because it's really creative. It's just another part of him being able to create a story and a narrative as if you're right there with him. It literally feels like you're right there with him. And then the last track, Criminal, which is a track by Eminem and FBT, is another one of my favorites as well. I was okay with Under the Influence featuring D12. I, to me, unlike a lot of people, was not a fan of everybody in D12. I was definitely a fan of Proof. I was definitely a fan of Kanava, but I wasn't a fan really of Bizarre or some of the other guys that were in D12 like that. To me, I thought that they had some skill, but they were a little off sometimes to me, and I really couldn't get into a lot of the D12 albums. I never really was a big D12 fan, but I wasn't really into it like that. But those were really my favorites. I don't, other than the skit, which I'm talking about, Ken Kniff, <laughs> I don't have any low lights on this album. I really do think it's 18 tracks, including the skit, other than Ken Kniff, really, really well put together. And the, the producers on here did an amazing job of producing. And not only that, But Eminem, this being his first foray into producing and working, this really built a foundation for him. And when if you want to learn from somebody, you want to learn from somebody like Dr. Dre and learn from someone like the 45 King. And that work ethic is literally what helped him become one of the bigger producers and then also developers of talent 
within the next decade or so because he learned from Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre himself even said, yo, this kid, he's a studio rat. Like, he's a workhorse when he goes inside of the studio. He learned that work ethic from Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre himself has famously had tales about his work ethic in the studio and how he made rappers record bars over bar over bar over bar over bar over and over again until he got it just the way that he wanted to get it. But really well put together project. Um, not really any lowlights here for me. And a well-produced album. Great lyrics. Even despite the controversy, you have to give him credit for his skill and the way that he spit a lot of these bars on here. It's just awesome. I mean, awesome. So if I had to say my favorite track on here, Bitch Please 2, and then the second favorite is probably Marshall Mathers. Now we're going to get into notable quotables. Now, my notable quotable actually comes from the song from Marshall Mathers, and it's the f- part of the first verse where this was my favorite part of the song. You might see me jogging. You might see me walking. You might see me walking a dead Rottweiler dog with his head chopped off in the park with a spike collar, hollering at him because the son of a bitch won't quit barking or leaning out the window with a cocked shotgun, driving up the block in the car that he shot Pac in, looking for Big's killer, dressed in ridiculous, blue and red like I don't see what the big deal is, Double-barrel, 12-gauge bigger than Chris Wallace. Pissed off because Biggie and Pac just missed all this. Watching all these cheap imitations get riched off them and get dollars that should have been there like the switched wallets. And amidst all this Chris popping and wristwatches, I had to sit back and just watch it get nauseous and walk around with the empty bottle of Remy Martin and starting shit like some 26-year-old skinny Cartman. I'm anti-Black Street and Ricky Martin with instincts to kill in sync. Don't get me started. These fucking brats can't sing and Britney's garbage. Watch this bitch retarded. Give me back my $16. All I see is sissies in magazines smiling. Whatever happened to wilding out and being violent? Whatever happened to catching an old-fashioned, passionate ass-whooping and getting your shoes and your hat tooken? I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, crazy, crazy bars right there. It's a lot of crazy bars here in this album. But to me, that's what I connected the most with, especially the whole part where he talked about... <laughs> Double Barrage, 12 gauge bigger than Chris Wallace pissed off because Biggie and Pac just missed all this. Watching all these cheap imitations get rich off them and get dollars that should have been there like they switched wallets. I agree 100%. <laughs> I'm with you, Am. I'm with you right there. That's my notable quotable from the Marshall Mathers LP. There's tons of them here too, man, but a lot of different things in here and lyrics on here that you could pull. You could look at the studies and stuff, stuff that were done and analysis of the song like Stan or The Way That I Am. And the real Slim Shady, really great work, man. Eminem's pen has never been in doubt. And to me, this is why I think he really took a step up. Now, this is the album that that he took a step up into superstardom. This was in 2000. By the time he got past this album and into 01 and 02, he went from superstar to the biggest star in the game. He had so many different features between 2000 and 2002, when he got into the Eminem show and then 8 Mile as a soundtrack and then also as a movie, I think that's when he was at his peak. Now, he's probably made a lot of money since then. He definitely, over the next few years, spent more time working with 50 Cent, working with G-Unit, working with other artists that were on Aftermath and also on Shady Records. But I think at that point, between 2000 and like 2003, Eminem, to me, was at his peak. Creatively, lyrically, production-wise, And I think his star had reached brighter than anything else. And I think after 2004, to me, he started to take a little bit of a tumble. And his rap style changed, which I'm glad the fact that he's decided to change up the flow. But for me, I 
prefer this version of Eminem better than I do, like, let's say, late 2000s, mid-2010s Eminem, though his creativity, I think, definitely went through the roof. I do think lyrically, though, and style-wise, I prefer this type of Eminem versus the Eminem that we saw then or more recently. Now we're going to get a little bit into the reception of how this album was received. Now, no matter what you've watched, read, or heard, all of the reception from this album has been phenomenal. Many people, including myself, consider this to be Eminem's best album and his best work, without a shadow of a doubt. All of the different reviews that have come in in regards to the reception of this album, I mean, it has been great. You look at some of the things that happened, Entertainment Weekly gave it an A-, NME gave it a 9, nine out of 10, Village Voice gave it, a a, gave it an A, The Source gave it, I think, four mics out of five, which to me... It's a little crazy because I think they underrated this album. I think they did. But now considering the relationship that Eminem would come to have with the source, it doesn't surprise me that they underrated this album because to me, I think this should have been a lot higher than a four. And uh, if you look at the album of the year, a lot of publications had this as the best album of the year. Rolling Stone and Melody Maker named it the best album of 2000. It won the best album category at MTV Europe Music Awards. It won best rap album at the Grammys in 2001. And it was nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammys, but lost to Steely Dan's Two Against Nature at those same Grammy Awards. But I think this is his best album. If you look at any of the albums that were released in 2000, this is, without a doubt, within the top three to five albums. Um, I would even say it's probably either one or two. And the reception that has happened in regards to the retrospectives that have been placed since... It's 20th anniversary within the last week or so just lets you know just how big of an album this was. Because like I said, it sold 25 million records and, and an artist that has had a lot of great work. He himself, Eminem has said that he's still chasing the excellence that he reached on this album after he's been in the music business for 20 years, that he's still trying to get to this plateau of the Marshall Mathers LP. Now we get to the ultimate test, the test of time, where we deem it, whether it's a certified classic, borderline classic, or a classic just in its time. And big surprise, I think this is a certified classic. It's reached that golden mark of 20 years old. And to me, the reception that this has gotten, how well it is aged, and how the content has sort of stood up, controversial as it may be, but the content in regards to lyrically, the quality, the sonic quality, the production, it's all great. And the fact that you have an artist now that has probably sold more records than any other rap artist in history has seen more success than, with the exception of maybe Jay-Z, has seen more success than any other hip-hop artist in history, which is transition as much as he used to talk shit about pop stars, Eminem has really transcended hip-hop into popular culture and into popular music. And this album was the start of all of that. As I said, in 99, when the Slim Shady LP came out, he was a pretty big, becoming a pretty big star. But once this album came out, it started to catapult him into superstardom and into the stratosphere because this has really launched his career to where the point where he not only was just making music. He started to act in movies. He produced his own movie based off of his life, a soundtrack. And his stardom only doubled and tripled and quadrupled in so many different other ways, times over from when he first started. 
And this was all the start of it because of this album. It was very highly acclaimed. And 20 years later, you listen to this and quality wise, like I said, just if you don't look at it just on the surface, it's still a great album and it's classic. And it'll be 10 years from now. We can listen to this and still marvel at its greatness and marvel at how great of an album it still is, considering not only Eminem and his skill, but then also the producers and the direction that this album took. Controversy aside, and I understand that this would not fly nowadays today, but, you know, all the other things aside with all the stuff that happens when it comes to the words that he uses and the language and the topics he talks about. But if you take a look beyond the surface, you'll see exactly why this album is so great and why it's so highly regarded. So there it is, the Marshall Mathers LP by Eminem. Again, 20 years old, a certified classic by us. Make sure you go check it out. Anywhere where you can stream music, you can get this album. I had a great time listening to it this week. It brought back a lot of memories. So go out there and listen to it. It is Eminem's essential album and what I believe to be his magnum opus. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you check us out on our host, Podbean, vaultcmr.podbean.com. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to The Vault on all of our social media platforms and all streaming sources. If you go to any one of our social media pages, you can get to our link tree, which has all of our streaming sources and also all social media pages. Again, you can reach us on Instagram on at Vault CMR Podcast, Twitter at Vault Classic, and on Facebook and YouTube, search The Vault Classic Music Reviews, and you can get to us there. Like and subscribe to our Facebook and YouTube pages, and also like us and friend us on social media. We love hearing back from all of you all out there who are our listeners. We appreciate all the support, and if you have a friend, tell a friend, and make sure you tell that friend to tell a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. As we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big, because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate, because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8.